Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Matthew Gavidia, editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. Initially starting in 2011 as a ministry that offered food, clothing, and other services to community members in Pittsburgh, the Neighborhood Resilience Project, led by Reverend Paul Abernathy, has since gained national attention for its work on promoting health and resiliency in trauma-affected communities, which face disparities in access and accessibility of care, and medical mistrust. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we speak with Reverend Abernathy on the challenges presented in managing these underserved communities, how his community partnership with the UPMC Health Plan assists his organization's mission, and advice he would give to other community stakeholders in pursuing health equity. Welcome to Managed Carecast, Paul. Can you just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work? Yes. Hello, Matthew. It's good to be with you. Uh, Father Paul Abernathy, I'm Chief Executive Officer of the Neighborhood Resilience Project uh, and uh, board member of uh, UPMC for You. So very grateful to be here with you for this interview. And delving into the work you do with the uh, Neighborhood Resilience Project, which focuses on promoting health and resiliency in trauma-affected communities, the organization initially started as a ministry that offered food, clothing, and other services to community members. Can you speak on some of the early days of the organization, how lessons learned during this time shaped how it operates today? Yeah, sure, Matthew. In the early days of our work here on the Hill District, which is where our organization is currently located, though our work uh, occurs now across the county, our main the main seat of our organization is in the Hill District. In the early days when we were starting out in the Hill District, just focusing on those basic needs, what really we learned through that process is how deeply trauma was affecting life here in our community. So we would often begin with a can of food. People asking for a can of food, they'd end up talking about a time when they were raped. We'd work on workforce development, a resume writing, and then I'm talking about a time when someone saw their cousin gunned down in the street or just passing out a sweater and someone was talking about the eviction that they experienced as a child. And all of this led me to believe and understand that there was so much trauma we were facing in our community, much more than in other communities. And that this trauma was shaping not only life, but also impacting health and well-being in our community. And indeed, through a partnership with the University of Pittsburgh, we found in a pilot study that the experience of trauma for children in our community was very disproportionate. Uh, the ACE study, Adverse Childhood Experiences, looking at childhood trauma before the age of 18, found that average uh, Americans, um, that 14% of Americans have a score four or higher on the ACE uh, scale, which is a score that puts them at an elevated risk for a negative impact in health and well-being. Uh, whereas in the Hill District, 61% of respondents in that pilot study had a score four or higher. So compared to 14% in mainstream Americans, 61% in our community, we understood that we were facing a crisis, a significant crisis uh, regarding trauma and its impact on health and well-being in our community. And kind of fast forwarding to now, the organization serves as a hub for health equity and resiliency. And having some of these uh, difficult conversations, as you mentioned, is definitely not easy. And it became of substantial importance amid the COVID-19 pandemic. I recently read the New York Times piece that uh, featured you and the organization. And one of the things that stood out to me was uh, that meeting the care needs of these populations you serve is not just about uh, access or accessibility of care, but also education and addressing misinformation. 
Working with these communities, what strategies have you taken to address uh, mistrust in healthcare? And how did the pandemic change your approach in any way? Wonderful. I will tell you that a main, uh, a core competency of ours and a key component in our strategy as we as we do this work in community is identifying community champions, training and deploying them. So I think often there is an understanding that we need people who reflect the community to do this work, to educate, to do health education in community. And I think just as we understand that, we have to understand it's just as important, not only to identify who those community champions are, but also in terms of what level of training and preparation are we able also to give them. This is what we had to do in the pandemic when we launched our community health deputy initiative. This is different than community health workers because community health workers go through a very extensive certification process now with the state. Although when we started doing this work over a decade ago, it wasn't that way. It is that way now. There's an extensive certification process. We understood in the height of the pandemic that it wasn't enough to have just community health workers do this. We have community health workers here at the Neighborhood Resilience Project, but what we were more looking at is how we're how successfully can we engage community champions who may or may not have a long-term interest in healthcare per se, but who definitely had an interest in the well-being of their communities. To, how successfully could we engage them? bring them in, orient them, train them, and also then deploy them as part of an organized community network that would continue to implement public health interventions on a community level. So this was our work that was featured in the New York Times and then also in uh, many uh, national, international news sources to include an HBO documentary um, uh, entitled How to Survive a Pandemic. This uh, this key this key strategy has been uh, important for us, not only as it pertains to community health deputies, but also as it pertains to, to addressing gun violence, how it pertains to uh, implementing long-term interventions around transforming communities, how we go from what we call trauma-affected community to resilient, healing, and healthy community. We have a long-term intervention process, a long-term intervention strategy by which we facilitate or catalyze that transformation, and it's all led by people, community champions who are uh, engaged, uh, trained and deployed as part of an organized network. And along with mistrust, uh, what are some of the other notable challenges that physicians and health systems should be aware of in managing the care uh, needs of these communities? Well, I think that there are many barriers to health that go beyond clinical intervention. And certainly many people are aware now of the social determinants of health. I think social determinants of, of health are, are, are very significant. They're a very significant barrier. In other words, if someone actually makes it to the doctor and they don't follow the direction of the doctor, what really is the reason why a person might not follow that physician's direction? Um, it could be the way in which the physician delivered the direction. It could be that the uh, that the information on paper with which they left the hospital is not really understandable. It could be that they want to follow the the, the physician's direction but can't afford to. It might be uh, cost prohibitive. It might be a matter of transportation. It could be that they receive the physician's directive, but. Honestly, there's there's shooting happening on their doorstep every other day, and they're concerned about other things. So there are many, really, when it comes to where a person lives, or excuse me, when a patient comes through the door, it's important to understand where is that patient's environment and what is that patient's social network. So these are two things. 
Often we focus on the individual. That's obviously important from the perspective of clinical intervention. We have to understand in the context of health, we need to know the individual, we need to know their social network, and we need to know their environment. If their social network is not healthy, it's going to be very hard for that individual to sustain uh, sustain a healthy lifestyle. If that individual's environment is not healthy, it's going to be very, very challenging for that individual to sustain a healthy lifestyle. So it's very important for physicians to know this and to understand that Healthcare systems don't need to do everything. They don't need to do everything. Healthcare systems need to understand how to partner, uh, partner with organizations, community groups, faith-based organizations that are that are really addressing social determinants of health. Certainly, there's going to play, be a place where healthcare systems do that directly. Many instances, they will not. And when they're not, those partnerships, building those partnerships, supporting those partnerships, cultivating those partnerships are going to do a lot to improve health outcomes in uh, in hospitals and doctor's offices. Yeah, and I, uh, as from personal experience on writing and social determinants and uh, some of these communities as well, outreach and reintegrating individuals into the healthcare system is such a multi-pronged issue. And there's so many steps involved. Uh, you additionally mentioned your community partner of UPMC Health Plan. Uh, what role do they play in the communities you serve with the Neighborhood Resilience Project? And uh, what lessons can be gained from these type of relationships in advancing health equity nationwide? UPMC uh, Health Plan has been by far one of our most extraordinary partners over the years. Uh, from the very beginning, uh, when we started to really get into this work, we did so in partnership with UPMC uh, Health Plan. Uh, certainly, they offered significant financial support up front and then over the years. In addition to that, however, the, the information advice, access to UPMC services to advance better, to advance the work that we're doing on a community level has been absolutely exceptional. We, I, I, would, I like to say that our relationship with, with UPMC is, uh, is a living relationship. This isn't a relationship that's uh, based merely on some transaction, but there's tremendous dialogue and collaboration that occurs. So much of even what we do as we're working on building this, we, we even develop this in partnership, in collaboration with the wonderful and beautiful minds at UPMC Health Plan. And that partnership has yielded significant things. It was a joy for us to see and even participate in the launch of Freedom House 2.0, in which UPMC committed significant resources to help uh, in the history, in the spirit of our community's history, engaging people in our community and training them to be um, to be significant participants in the health system. And to see that initiative and so many others like it happen on a community level. Right now, we have a partnership wherein we actually have one of our community health deputies that is focusing solely on UPMC members who are high risk. They're high risk, they have high health risk, but maybe they're not participating in their health care or, or clinical interventions the way they should. So just working on having a partnership wherein our folks are, are working to help those people, help those UPMC members be more successful and have more successful health outcomes to help them reduce the barriers that are preventing them, helping them even to understand what other types of UPMC services that they have access to. Because sometimes they don't even know, even as members of UPMC, what else they could have, what other kind of support they could receive 
from UPMC. So these types of partnerships have been significant and we are so incredibly grateful for uh, UPMC's partnership over the years. Yeah, and uh, kind of looking to the short term and even near future, uh, do you have any plans on expanding the Neighborhood Resilience Project in any way? We do. We have we have plans to expand the Neighborhood Resilience Project in terms of our work here on the ground, um, trauma-informed community development. This is our mission um, through a partnership with the Jefferson Foundation. We're, we're right now working on an initiative to catalyze these efforts in Duquesne, Clareton, and McKeesport. We have um, our efforts in violence prevention are also expanding we, in partnership with the Department of Human Services, are going to be the convening organization for all of the violence prevention efforts in Allegheny County. And we've now leveraged that to bring in an additional $3 million from the state of Pennsylvania to help support the development of the, the collaboration needed for violence prevention in Allegheny County. Um, we, uh, we, we have developed uh, training programs, which we've now offered trainings to people from across the nation. Uh, we currently even have an intern from the United Kingdom who's who's here interning with us to learn trauma-informed community development, and we'll be launching in January uh, in April of two uh, of of 2023 here, just in a few months, a an online uh, program in partnership with Linfield University over on the West Coast, the Foundations of Trauma-Informed Community Development. So we have a lot of uh, a lot of exciting uh, a lot of exciting initiatives in the works for 2023 and beyond. And we're just so grateful, uh, certainly for our relationship with UPMC, because without that partnership, this kind of expansion would certainly not be possible. And for other communities who are just starting in their journey to meeting uh, the care needs of these populations, what takeaways do you hope providers and uh, community stakeholders gain from your organization? I hope that one of the big takeaways is the need for collaboration and planning. I think that's key. I think too often the urgency of crisis undermines planning. And I think it's important to plan and how we establish those right tables that enable true collaboration between health system and community members is absolutely key because that, those collaborations, as we, as we teach in our work, relationships make plans possible. We need to build, we need to establish those relationships, co contemplate those relationships, nurture those relationships, and have a very robust planning uh, planning strategy in which we are able to develop a, a plan in which there's mutual buy-in, that mutual support, uh, and mutual partnership. And I think that that collaboration and partnership is absolutely critical. this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.